Bonjour, je suis Haley Nauman, and you're listening to the Maybe Baby podcast, Emily in Paris edition. Thank you so, so much, Avi, for that royalty-free rendition of Champs-Élysées. And shout out to you for learning that in literally 30 seconds. Um, Today, we're going to be talking all about the hit Netflix television series, Emily in Paris. I've brought on two esteemed guests to discuss it, one of which is the musical act as well, Avi, Obisek Banerjee, my boyfriend, and also Miss Gross, the one and only Harling Ross, who is just a good friend of mine. And I brought them on for specific reasons, but I'm going to explain to them in person in a second why I chose them. So I'll just save that for then. Okay, let's get started. Hi, Harling. Hello, everyone, by which I mean both of you. (laughs) Thank you for joining all the way from Napa, California. Am I your first, second time guest besides Avi? (laughs) Yes, you are. Actually, this is only Avi's. This is my second time as well. No, no. You came on to talk about David Blaine, and we talked about roommate living as roommates. Oh, right. Wow, honored. You're a veteran. I am. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't be more thrilled that my second time on the pod is for this purpose, which is to discuss Emily in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you're extremely fresh, right? You, like, just finished? I literally just finished hours ago, and I've used the time since to process. Nice. Did Austin so watch, the full di- watch with you? No, he didn't watch with me, which we're going to discuss later with a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Wait, we need to we need to banish Bug. He's doing snorts and chortles in the background. Cakes. Kiki, it's not the time for grooming. Um, okay, well, there's just literally so much to cover. Did you guys watch together or did you watch... Because I remember you posted a story, a screenshot of Avi's commentary on Instagram. So it seemed like you were watching separately. Well, so I watched the first six, five or six, without him assuming that he would not want to watch it. And then he came home and he was truly hurt <laughs> to hear that I had watched without him. And I was like, well, I have dinner plans tomorrow, so you have to catch up. That's your job. And then we'll watch the seventh <laughs> together. And you did it. And did that's it. why he texted me all those. That's a good way to do it, actually, because then you have a lot of pent-up rage. And then it can coalesce when you're watching together. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Because you were texting me about wishing that you had uh, someone to, like, watch it with. Which, actually, let me just introduce why I brought you guys in particular <laughs> onto the show today. Mm-hmm. The, sh- the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Harling, as a former social media manager come influencer, and a now brand consultant... And stylist like Patricia Fields. Wow, my whole career path sounds fake. <laughs> <laughs> I would like you to bring the professional perspective, and as someone who's generally just mad about pop culture. Yes. I thought you'd be the perfect person to bring on. And Avi, mm-hmm. as a lover of all awful pop culture, specifically yeah. awful. Yeah. And as my partner in viewing. And also as the author of the infamous Emily in Paris text thread that (laughs) everyone on my Instagram story loved. Yeah, people are still reaching out to me about it. Um, (laughs) 
it's changed my life really <laughs> yeah well everyone has their breakout moment so well I you know I truly believe and you know this and maybe Harling you know this I, I think that you need to stare directly into the void um, and that's where you <laughs> find real truth I think like the reason we're in the situation we're in in 2020 is because we kept looking away it's too painful but <laughs> you're right I feel like the reason people are watching us is because they need to face the problems in the world yeah and not I think away from they're them. all there they really, they actually are all mm-hmm. there. <laughs> well, it also feels like, it actually feels so good to, like, hate on something together that isn't a pandemic. You know what I mean? That's like, it true. It feels actually cathartic to universally hate on something <laughs> that's just totally stupid. Well, I would say, though, that there's actually some contention around the Emily in Paris discourse. Um, mm-hmm. One such comment oh. I received on my newsletter today was, Emily in Paris is good, lighthearted fun, don't bash it and don't be a snob. Period. Ooh. I, I know. Think, I think I like Emily. Oh no, they said they said don't be mean and don't be a snob. And I was yeah. like, if you think I'm a mean snob, then why do you follow my newsletter? <laughs> but anyway, um, so there is some. I feel like there's some disagreement on EIP, EIP as I've as I've been known to call it. Mm-hmm. And so I want to just start off with asking both of you a question, which is what. Do you think Emily in Paris is trying to do and trying to be? Because I think that that is the fairest grounds on which we should critique it. So, for instance, I would not say that we should critique a rom-com for not being realistic because I don't think it's really trying to be realistic. That's not, like, the point. So Mm -hmm. I think we should establish together what we think Emily in Paris is trying to do and then critique it on those grounds rather than critiquing it for things it was never going to be. Fair. Fair question. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the people who are sitting around like the, the board the boardroom <laughs> signing on to Emily in Paris, they're like, this is what this show is going to do and be. Take it away, Harley. Well, this is the thing, which is that Netflix all content made by Netflix is algorithmically curated. In yep. in other words, like the board is sitting around being like, What is the algorithm telling us to make? And I imagine they're like, Oh, well, we have Darren Starr, we have Patricia Field. Let's basically make Sex in the City for 2020. But and it's all, but actually, it's for 2012. <laughs> They're like, we have this 10 year old report that says people love the French, <laughs> or like white girls on Tumblr love French people, and that's what yes. they base this whole show on, I think. And also, they, I feel like they also kind of based it on like the. It felt very Double Wars Prada to me. Mm-hmm. I obviously love the Devil Wears Prada because it's such a classic. I wrote that whole like myth busting story about it. But to me, classic. It feels... set the record straight. Yeah, <laughs> that was me who wrote that. One of my greatest contributions to journals. Um, but this, that's I think that's why this felt so off is because it did feel it felt dated despite the fact that it was trying so hard to be current. And there was a great I think tension. That's a very sound critique. With that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Darren Starr is 59, I found out today, and he's a Gen X guy <laughs> who's trying to write a thing about millennials. I haven't watched Younger, um, but. Oh, that, that's him? That's him as well. Okay. But. Um, well, he didn't write it. I think he did write it. He wrote Emily in Paris? Or. Or he was like the head writer it. or something? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> okay, but wait, before we get off track, what do you think Emily in Paris is trying to do? Right, I'm getting to that. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think a lot of sort of like dark forces came together in some way. I think, 
I think a lot of darkness comes from algorithms in 2020. And it basically created this thing that is trying to make you feel better about the miserable existence. It's like putting a very fresh paint of coat on what is essentially... What is that? (laughs) Paint of coat. Both, really. (laughs) Um, On uh, what is like basically laundering workism she doesn't exist outside of her work everyone she meets is either just based on where she lives or through work um and like romantic connections sort of intermingle there um and um, and marketing which is like a pervasive force in our life like the whole show is about marketing but even sort of meta to the show like first of all the name of the show is the name of the instagram account Mm -hmm. which is also the instagram account in real life which has both promo (laughs) marketing materials, but also picks from the show's Instagram, but it tags the actors. (laughs) And it's about a person who went to a marketing firm and went to France, but it's on Netflix, which is just taking all of this and mining it. So I think it's kind of like going to the dentist's office. This show is the Novocaine (laughs) that numbs you while Netflix scrapes your data. Ooh. <laughs> that's my take. So that's what you think Emily in Paris is trying yeah, to do? Yeah, you know, it's like bread and circuses, right? And this, it's like a very consumable thing. Or, you know, as you might say, uh, chocolate plus butter equals heart. <laughs> I think, okay, Wait. so I think that, what? Oh, I was just going to say, like, do we, like, related to your question, I think, is do we think when they sat down and concepted the show did they think it would be popular because it was so mockable or did they like think sincerely oh this is like incredible television i think they sought to make escapist television like i think the popularity is because it's so hateable but i don't think they sought out to make that i think they're probably just out of touch (laughs) one one thing i want to say though is that i think that with a show like emily in paris i don't think it's actually worthy of the amount of tension it's getting. I think that it caught a wave and so many people are watching it having opinions on it because somebody else had an opinion on it. And like, I, and I think, I mean, that's how everything works, of course, but I think that like giving it credit for its popularity, I think is like similar to calling like Trump a genius. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. He's not a genius. He's just, like, the, the perfect type of stupid to be inflammatory. It's, like, it catches a wave. And I don't think that, like, Emily... I don't think Emily Paris necessarily, like, deserves... I don't think it's one of those things where you can be, like, well, you have to give it credit. Like, it's really started a discourse. <laughs> I don't think that that's the case. I think it literally went viral on Twitter because, like, the right person retweeted it. And otherwise, it would have just gone under the radar. Like, there's seriously so many shows like this. Like, people who are, like, I really liked it. I'm, like, well, great. There's so... There's 1,000 more little stupid escapist TV shows that are, like, unrealistic and sort of shiny and gross American mm-hmm. products that are, like, happy to yeah. to numb you. Yeah. Well, don't you think that also it probably went viral because it's about social media and social media loves to talk about social media just like, mm-hmm. you know, movies about Hollywood always win the best picture because <laughs> Hollywood <laughs> loves so movies embarrassing. about Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a good point. It's like a black mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, if yeah. you will. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, the reason I wanted to watch it is because I saw people shitting on it on Twitter. So yeah, 
Right. Like, I don't know if everyone saw the preview before they knew. I didn't. It, no, well, me, I didn't either. I didn't either. But what I was going to say was more of like a hypothetical, which is like, if there were no online discourse and people just saw the preview, I don't think like that many people would have been like, I have to see this. It's purely totally. because of the internet conversation, yeah. which maybe is yes. just an obvious thing to say. But um, do you think the same thing happened with Bird Box? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, I honestly have like nostalgia for that time. I literally just watched Bird Box for the first time, so now I can't stop. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you just want people to have that conversation with you now? <laughs> You're ready for it now? Yeah, now I'm ready to talk about Bird Box. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Bird Box is almost Sandra Bullock, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. And Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, that like all those memes. Yeah, the 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 memes about the guy like holding the old lady's eyes open. I, yeah. I, oh right. I got right, some right. good. I got some good. I, that one. Harley, I love the idea of you starting to like post some of those memes again. <laughs> Get, like restart the bird box discourse. <laughs> For some um, reason, they just like they feel related in my mind. Not only because I both I just watched both of them recently, but also because the hype around Bird Box was sort of like people thinking it was stupid, but then wanting to watch it because of the hype and because it was stupid. I feel like it was kind of popular, though, no? Like, not just for being stupid. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, like, a holiday thing, because we watched around Christmas. I know, that's why I have, like, positive memories, because we were, like, with my cousins. We were in Colorado, (laughs) yeah. yeah. And um, I think probably also, like, these things kind of catch on, because one of the things that Netflix does is is cast, or, like, make casting suggestions via algorithm. So they probably Mm -hmm. were like, these are the demos we're trying to hit. Um, so get Sandra Bullock um, and Machine Gun Kelly and uh, who else is in that movie? I don't remember. It doesn't even doesn't matter. matter. Huh? Okay, John Maskiewicz. Oh, yeah, oh you should God, be fresh in right. your mind, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys. Sarah Paulson. Wanna, okay, I'm done. I, I want to start. Oh, yeah, I actually remember Sarah Paulson's role in that movie. Are you going to get in the serial now? Listen to that podcast? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> um... Okay, I want to I want to start with what we think that Emily in Paris gets right. Mm-hmm. Cuz I have I have I have a list of things that I think it gets right, it gets really wrong, and then things that I think are questionable and I want your guys' opinion. Okay. Cool. Great. I like that. I'm going to list out some things that I think that the show gets right mm-hmm. first. Okay. Okay. I think that it gets right the um the way that social media sort of is fake and takes you away from like what you're actually doing. Like sometimes she's like sitting there She's kind of the way that she Instagrams and kind of like exits the situation to be on her phone and kind of like make a moment that is not really happening. Very Instagrammy, right? Yeah. Kind of obvious, but my second one is that she fucks, which I appreciate. She fucks. She I like does. that she fucks. Mm-hmm. Although, can I say something really quickly about yeah, that? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Please interject as much as possible. Do you guys feel like we were being threesome baited throughout the whole show and, like, I was really disappointed it never happened? Yeah, I mean, she takes a picture in a bed with Camille. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. okay. I didn't think of the threesome angle, but I did think of that maybe Camille was into Emily. It's a little bit of a Betty Veronica situation, right? You got a blonde, (laughs) you got a brunette. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not, like, super up on the Archie dynamics, but... (laughs) I don't know what's happening on Riverdale. Never seen the show. I used to read. Yeah, I'm, I know your reference is probably like. 30 I used to years read old. the comic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's my one. That's I had to. I had well, to. You got to save some one. content for season yeah. two. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. I mean, they really left on a cliffhanger. But anyways, continue. No, speaking of that dynamic, though, it made no sense that he would be more attracted to Emily than to his girlfriend. And I'm not talking about, like, their appearances, which may be, like, I'm talking just everything. Like, his girlfriend's cool. Yeah. The only thing wrong with her is that she wanted to support his career. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was this, like... I, I like all the French stereotypes. I learned a new one, which is like about your your French girlfriend's family paying for your career. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. I was um, like, I always knew about the baguettes and the cigarettes, but that's a new one to me. Yeah. Um, okay. One thing I think it gets right is that the plot is it. Re- it reminds me of like Sherlock Holmes, and mm-hmm. that. It has. It follows like a perfect like hero's journey every episode. Like she has, she has like <laughs> things are nice in the beginning. Then she hits a snag, and then she like it, she sees spirals because she's not sure what she's gonna do. And then she has a light bulb moment. Yeah, she goes into her mind palace. <laughs> she goes into she fully goes into her mind palace, and there's always like a little twinkle in her eye right when she realizes what she's gonna do. Mm-hmm. And then there's like another little snag in that plan, but then like she comes out on top. Right. <laughs> And, like, I think that's a very satisfying narrative. I think it's comforting. I think it's nostalgic. And I know some people are annoyed about that because it's not realistic, but I don't think, to be fair to, like, what they were trying to do, I don't think they were trying to make something. No, I think they even talk about that in the show, which is, like, they kind of do this sort of, like, meta-commentary about American rom-coms versus French rom-coms. And they talk about, like, American rom-coms being lighthearted, and that's the point. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of being, like... This is a fun show. Like, get on board. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, we're on board. Me too. Okay, this might be a hot take, but I kind of like the over-the-top, like, ironic French credits. Wait, what do you mean credits? Like, it's like the, the kind of the credits in, like, the beginning and the end of the show, like, the font, the, like, little French oh. music. And I where actually, they're, like, zooming through the, the landscape. Wait, I actually don't remember the cinematography, but I just remember the feeling it gave me, Harling. And I felt I, I remember thinking, like, oh, I really like how kind of um, what a, like, parody of France these credits are. I almost wish that the whole show was more like that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that they could have... I think it would be a better show or, like, more critic... Better... More highly received critically if it had leaned into that more. Okay. I feel... Um Neutral. I don't remember the, the credits at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think Harling's on my side. <laughs> the little French is in the end. The little French uh, ditty. I think the I problem... Think if, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, if one of your top three things that you liked about the show was the credits, then, like, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a real red flag. <laughs> I know, and it's, like, it's ten seconds out of the whole thing. Okay. Um, I actually think that, like, the poison that is workism, I don't think they really intended this. Mm-hmm. But I think it's actually pretty well portrayed. So if you're not familiar with workism, uh, Derek Thompson wrote a really great piece about it in The Atlantic like four years ago. But it's it's like an American ideal. Actually, maybe I'll just Google it really quick and just give everyone a quick... Oh. And three, two... <laughs> <laughs> Wait... What is workism? It is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose, and the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work. Uh-huh. Wait, and then why do you think this is a good thing? I can't remember. So what I was saying is that Emily's relationship to work is a perfect portrayal of workism. Yeah. 
I, I don't think they're accurately, or I don't think that they're trying to critique it, and I think it, it becomes accidentally a critique. Uh huh. Because she's so hateable. Right. <laughs> I don't think she's hateable, actually. I think that she's nothing. Like, she doesn't really have a personality, she just is her job. They, she like, is they, her masters in communication. Yeah, they sort of <laughs> gi- they sort of give her traits, but they're all told to you. Nothing is really gleaned from like her actions except for that she likes to fuck. She flinches a lot. So one thing that I think is like contradictory about her is that she's she's supposed to be this kind of like bold and unfazed, really confident, plucky upstart, mm-hmm. and then she like flinches at like any nudity. I'm just like I don't understand these qualities well, she's, together. She's got a Midwestern upbringing. You wouldn't understand coming from the co- <laughs> both of you are kind of. Coastal elites. I'm here to represent the the common man. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. This also actually... true because I'm what you would call a lower count Instagram um, <laughs> account. I don't have the uh, blue check or the uh, massive following. So I'm here to speak for the everyman. Literally okay, all you have to do is post a photo of yourself eating a croissant. That's a guaranteed 10K. <laughs> wait, okay, wait. That brings me... Both of you guys make comments that bring me up to something that I have under the questionable... I'm not sure <laughs> if I think it got it right or Are we wrong. skipping ahead? Well, I'm, I don't... I didn't have that much Let's more on my... It. What it did right list. I said Americans being desperate to be liked. <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty, like, common critique of Americans versus, like, more European cultures. Yeah, and I think it's a Midwestern thing, too. They're mm. trying... Like, their whole Chicago thing is that she, like knows what deep dish pizza is and she goes to a cubs game on wacker street <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about how you think that she's like not chicago at all i just i mean i've only i only spent five years there but <laughs> i don't think i really knew anyone like her um well there's got to be some basics in chicago no no tons of basic people it's just the look was not really like her wardrobe chicago look yeah, the, Harling, I mean, that's going to be your section. Get ready. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's. I'm just, I didn't see like a crop top the entire time I was in Chicago. No, well, you haven't been there in a while since that's the true. crop really took off. That's true. <laughs> no, she definitely looks more LA for sure. Yes, her makeup yeah. and hair too. I mean, her hair, the it, I call those college waves because those are the waves that we did when we were in college, which was 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> like, the kind of blowout and then recurl it vibes. <laughs> yeah. Like a silk, a long, long, long silky wave. Yeah. It's somehow straight and wavy at the same time. That's the work. That's the look she's going for. It feels really outdated, but totally. I will say that I do think that there are people who still have that like Christian girl autumn meme. That's very much alive and well for a certain <laughs> type of person. I'm just saying like, that's actually why I brought it, put it in the, in the questionable column. Because, like, she is supposed to be basic. Mm-hmm. I think people are annoyed that she's not cooler, but she is kind of supposed to be basic. Yeah. But I do think that she's kind of the wrong kind of basic because her outfits are all wild and out of whack. I don't understand what they are going for with her character. Like, if she was actually basic, which, like, maybe we need to define basic, but I'm just going to, like, toss out an outfit. It'd be, like, skinny jeans, black ankle boots, a pea coat, and, like, a scarf or something, right? It wouldn't be, like, a Kenzo matching skirt and puffer. Yeah, the fact that, like, that um, heart purse charm was what tipped off Pierre Cadeau that she was basic is just not... That, to me, was... That really took me out of the show. (laughs) Mentally... Wait, Harley, can you break down her fashion for me? Where do you think she sits in, like, the spectrum of, like, 
basic to fashionable to like that's not really a, a fair spectrum but let's call it like a a general i mean clearly she really cares about style like she puts a lot of thought into each outfit and each outfit is a fucking statement uh-huh. but like to me that was totally incongruous with her character and like i get the point like when you have patricia field as your costume designer like clearly you want your main character or all the characters to have some kind of particular point of view about style like style is not this afterthought if you have her as the costume designer because that's kind of what she's known for right but the thing that i mean i don't know like now i'm like referencing carrie bradshaw's outfit is the most base is going to be one of the most basic things about me but or her style but she the reason carrie bradshaw's style was cool is because it never looked too perfect or polished or like done um, it always looked like she, like, rewore things multiple times. It always looked like like there was, like, a lot of vintage in there. It looked like a real person's wardrobe. I mean, in the early seasons later, that changed, but... There's a sense of irony about Carrie's style, too. That yeah. There's no trace of irony in... Like, Emily's more... Like, she... I think... One thing that I think is kind of funny is that she does... She, like, makes allusions to, like, f- kind of, like, a cliche version of French culture with her berets, and, like, it does look kind of... I actually think it's maybe uh, would be how like a trust fund baby who has like no sense of culture like went on Pinterest for like French girl bought a bunch of really expensive clothes and then like went to France more than like her being like a mid a middle manager for a marketing firm in Chicago. Yeah, with student debts from her masters in communications. (laughs) Yeah, the the clothes are there. It's it's all extremely expensive a ton of chanel it's just it's so wild like i'm like how old are you supposed to be and where is where are you getting the funds to buy these clothes it's really confusing was there like a carrie bradshaw vibe to her looks is that the is that a reference do you think to me she looked like she looked like someone who's really trying to get photographed at fashion week you know that person like a blogger you've never heard of who probably has two million followers and all of her clothes were sent to her. Like, her head-to-toe look was sent to her by the brand. That's that's really well put. Dude, blogger. <laughs> I think they're right. It's, you know, I think there's something. The reason blogger hits for me is that I think that bloggers, maybe more than, like, fashion people, are focused on being flattered physically, according mm-hmm. to, like, rules that may or may not still be relevant. And I was thinking about that with, like, Emily's outfits. She's always wearing horrible heels the heels oh my gosh wait Harling, you know what i was thinking about is that story you wrote years ago about how like every celebrity ruins their outfits on the red carpet with their shoes that was amelia oh okay yeah i remember we talked a lot about that story and yeah i have that exact feeling about i mean not that i think that her outfits are really good otherwise but oftentimes they would be much cooler with like sneakers or just like anything other than like a a pump with an ankle strap yeah. Also, the heels, the heels and the belts. There were a lot of belts, a lot of wide belts, which reminded me of, like, the heyday of blogging, like 2012. Yeah. Again, you guys just don't understand the Midwest. <laughs> well, I mean, when, when, just... you, when you have massive fluctuations because you have to get big for the winter and the Chicago, cold Chicago winters, <laughs> stuff yourself full of uh, Lou Malnati's and Portillo's Italian beef, you need belts. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what Patricia Field was trying to transmit when she picked a lot of she, she gets it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I think that... I think the critique of the clothes isn't like, oh, she doesn't look cool. It's, oh, this isn't really transmitting about anything about the character that's like feels relevant to the to the plot. Totally. Right? I mean, it is kind of, she is corny. Yeah. <laughs> there are some things I feel like it does, I guess it's not fair to say it doesn't transmit anything, because it does. Like, it's kind of funny that she walks in just like completely over the top to work every day and everybody else is just like rolling their eyes like Emily's here. It does yeah. kind of fit. Yeah, I mean, Sylvie... Uh, clowns her for just like having no taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's. And fair. she is very try hard. Yes, her outfits all try super hard, like her. Per your point about bloggers, Harls. My other question, some, something else in the questionable column for me, is the popularity of her Instagram. Because obviously her captions are awful and her content's bad, but so many Instagrams, I think, fall into that category, have, like, millions and millions of followers. True. Like, they're, like, I I don't want to use the word so derogatorily, but, like, basic kind of influencers. Yeah, I mean, I think they're... (laughs) The thing that struck me when I was watching it is just, like, the number of boomerangs. I can't remember the last time I saw a boomerang on Instagram. (laughs) Dude, but there is a certain... People are still doing boomerangs. Population, right? I feel like. Hi, like. Yeah, boomerangs <laughs> will occasionally. Appear. You're seeing boomerangs. A blast from the past. I honestly haven't seen a boomerang in a long time. That's a good point. I also, yeah, it does feel like 2012 Instagram. It's like a, a, a yeah, a Gen Xer wrote the script, I think. Right. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, it's it's so funny. She's getting like 10k likes or whatever on a picture of her eating a pan chocolate, and uh, I don't know. It's just like. She's blowing up because it's such a good photo. Like, why? <laughs> the only also, time that I... Don't you feel like that when you see people's Instagram sometimes? We're like, why do you have 7 million followers? No, because I get it. It's always like, oh, you're a model or you're extremely wealthy or you're Dan Bilzerian and your dad is connected to organized crime or whatever. <laughs> Allegedly. And and you definitely started your Instagram account a decade ago at least. Like that. Okay, what fair, ha- fair, fair. Yeah. What's happening in in Emily in Paris, if that is said in 2020, is super unrealistic because no one acquires followers like that anymore. Okay, you're right. The, you're the absolutely one right. thing I will say to defend the show, because, again, I am the one here who liked it. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, after you go, I, I, I also have to say my piece about Wait, sorry. Then you, all I wanted to say is the only time she got, like, retweeted in the show, I believe, was when... Um, Emmanuel Macron's wife, I can't remember her name, the first Bridget? lady, Brigitte, Brigitte Macron, Brigitte. retweets some some campaign she's doing about a menstruate or a, a postmenopausal product. The vagina is not male. You'd yeah, love to see which it. is a little transphobic, if you ask me. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that's the only time that she's ever given any kind of like like boost that sort of seems commensurate to like how her posts keep getting she just took a picture like in front of a bed and she's like i love to sleep and then she gets ten thousand new followers every time she opens the app also why is why is something that she posts on instagram getting retweeted like that's kind of confusing too Uh, yeah i think that she's working multiple platforms yeah (laughs) um wait one thing i want to talk about though is like i think one thing this show is trying to do is defend basicness oh i do too and i and i want to maybe talk about like what we think basic it means to be basic in 2020 and whether we think it's like worth defending (laughs) i have some thoughts but i want to hear you guys 
first. Okay, actually, I'll just give mine since you guys yeah. are silent. Yeah, yeah, yeah go <laughs> ahead. Okay, so I think, like, I think that some of the, like, basic slander is people just trying to be cool, for sure. And I think that there's, like, some, like, basic human, pardon using the word, but basic human desires that, like, everyone likes, you know, like a candle that smells like fall in the fall. Like, these things, some things are really universal, and I don't think you have to hate them just because they're universal. Mm -hmm. But one critique of, like, basicness that I think is um, more valid is the idea that it tends to be, it's, like, a point of view that's, like, really comfortable with itself, and it's not typically, it's pretty homogenous, and it's not usually as interested in, like, forward thinking and looking outside yourself and understanding other people's experiences and... um, what am I trying to say? Like, it's not, it's, 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 not it's com- yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not being challenged. It's, it's mainstream because it's comfortable. And if you're always comfortable and you just like settle into that, that's fine. But I wouldn't defend that as necessarily being like, uh, progress, like good for, but good I th- for, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that's the strength of the show though, is because like, it's so, it's, it's messages it's okay to be basic, right? It's mm-hmm. okay to feel comfortable. Um, it's fine that you've spent um, all year watching shows in your sweatpants. Um, because it, like, it tells you like, explicitly by its, by its plot points. Like, the designer critiques her for being basic and, kick, and then storms out. And then eventually the cathartic sort of climax of the show is... <laughs> literally driving models out in a in a garbage truck <laughs> and having them write tacky and shit all over themselves while walking around. Which did actually happen. That, that show looked like a sh- uh, an actual show that happened. Yeah, I did recognize who the designer it. is. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And the show itself is not challenging in any way. Like, right. Even, even the conflicts in the show are resolved by no real conflict. So she, she likes someone who is her friend's boyfriend and then they just break up. Um, and then her friend Mindy, the, anyways, we'll just, her friend Mindy, um, is like afraid of singing and then she goes to karaoke and sings. (laughs) (laughs) The thing about your point about it defending basicness, which is true to Mm -hmm. my reaction to that is like, of all the things we'd need to defend, that seems really low on the list. Like it seems like it's fine and thriving without like some Netflix show to defend it. You know what I mean? Like, the whole point about basicness is that it, like, it's the norm. Yeah, but it's self-serving in a sense that, like, you don't have to watch something about... You don't have to watch a frontline documentary about the number of people who've died in a pandemic. You don't have to engage with voter suppression or all of the conflicts that are occurring. You know, there's been a couple of, like, social movements this year, I guess. You know, you don't have to do that. You can actually just stay home and watch a show about pretty people. Like, half of the cast are models. And you can just enjoy the eye candy and the, like... I mean, for what it's worth, her... Even though her outfits are basic or whatever, I'll let you guys sort of talk about those details. Everything looked nice. Like, it's very bright, like Kimmy Schmidt. Mm -hmm. All the textures feel like... Yeah, it's just like if you were to just sit around and eat eat, uh, a sleeve of Oreos 
skills. But a show. Yeah, exactly. Netflix yeah. shows are like that a lot. Have you mm-hmm. noticed that? Like, their production value. They love saturation and, well, like, shininess. Yeah. I mean, because that's what they're, they're about. Like, no Netflix show really goes, like, nine seasons. They get canceled after four seasons and they disappoint a bunch of fans. But, like, nobody has the attention span to really pay attention anymore anyways. So it's just supposed to, like, get you hooked for, like, two to three seasons. They get the data they can out of you so that they can cast their next algorithmi- <laughs> algorithmically driven show about, like... A girl who works at the wing but like has to overcome like body image issues or whatever thing that they <laughs> they come up with and then learns to be her own girl y- boss. yeah she like starts a, it's like she realizes that it's it, she's the girl better boss than that was within her all yeah along. yeah and then she becomes the ceo of a thing or something yeah i mean i think there is definitely a defensive posture about the show that i find a grating that i think I think we have a, a tendency in culture to try to like moralize things we like, and I think the defense of basicness is an extension of that. Like I think of this, it's kind of adjacent to the kind of guilty pleasure conversation, which is everyone's insistence that like there are no pleasures that are guilty because like anything you enjoy is should not cause you guilt. Mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of denying like what like what guilt is, which is like an alarm bell in your psyche that you're doing or engaging something that goes like slightly against your values. Like that's like what, that's the social function of Mm -hmm. guilt. And so if you are, if you're watching the bachelor and some part of you knows that it's trash and bad for everybody, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's a guilty pleasure. And I'm not saying you shouldn't watch it, but I think you should own it. Yeah. And I think that like the defensiveness to be like, there are no guilty pleasures. Like, it's just fun. Like, I'm going to defend why these shows are important because they're fun and escapist. And I'm like, well, I just think that's such a weird argument. Well, and I think that's happening with the defensive, the, yeah, sorry, the in defensive basicness argument where it's like, it's fine if you just want to be into what's mainstream, but I don't think you need to defend it as like high culture. I think that people ha- have a defensive posture because we have so much of a, like a, consumption is like I mean we t- we say vote with your wallet it's like a phrase that we use because people see that as sort of a reflection of your values mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. or like because we're powerless to change things otherwise yeah no I think that's a good point is that like we are everything's really moralized on the internet in general you cannot be a, pr- a good person who likes dumb things like every if you're a good person everything you like must be good everything's super flattened there can't you can't just be a person who has like some good takes and some bad takes it's like you're either good or you're bad and i feel like this it leads to this weird defensiveness about like everything any anyone does yeah so that's why i feel like emily's perspective emily and paris's perspective is just like it's boring (laughs) in defense of basicness i'm bored (laughs) it's funny harling saying that it's the last thing that needs to be defended right now just they're 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 more pressing issues uh, more pressing pressing things that need to be rescued by netflix um <laughs> but i here's the thing like i did enjoy the show from the perspective of like like it's not like it it did not it did not feel like a chore for me to watch like me it neither. did feel like this like fun little oh my god wait we to be clear we loved yeah. it too we were like yes yeah. another episode well actually Avi didn't like it as much you as know me. what I think I, in hindsight what it is is like you know how you see someone like open their phone and you're like oh perfect I will also open my phone and she's on her phone <laughs> gram like on Instagram all the time and so I'm like yeah let me let me post seven things only three people are gonna see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I think that that's 
the sh- the nostalgia like the show being so unchallenging mm-hmm. and eye candy and with a plot that just hits over and over and over again like of course it's enjoyable again i think that's the strength of the show because like you know to compare it to something like what was it the social dilemma the other netflix show which is like you know has a point of view and is trying to say oh well actually these media companies these tech companies are actually doing a bad thing by gamifying, like creating a casino that addicts everyone and makes all of everyone in the the uh, baby boomer generation insane. <laughs> I mean, every generation. Really, yeah, but. really all the gens. And they're like, you know, we need to do something. And it's like, pe- they're, these tech companies are scraping our data, and then you're watching it on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we should do something. Uh, this yeah, is really true. wrong, and everyone is just tuned in, and everyone's getting, you know, packaged and market, marketed and sold to some perfidious, you know, whatever, dark energy. To me, yeah. one of the saddest parts of Emily in Paris was the, the, the Kate Walsh's plot. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you know who that one is? Kate Walsh, yeah, yeah, the Grey's and the person from Grey's Anatomy. Oh my god, and private practice for one. And private practice. (laughs) I knew you would have watched Private Practice. It's such a you show. Like Private Practice, The Good Wife. Yeah, all the way through, baby. I can't believe Grey's Anatomy ended so many years ago. It seems like just yesterday. No, it's still going. (laughs) Yeah. I know, I think... Yeah, he's setting you up there. <laughs> Harley, would you like to... <laughs> I think I clowned you for the last time we talked about <laughs> continuing. Uh, Avi always does this to me where I, he likes it, makes this like, deadpan joke and I have the most sincere answer. <laughs> My sister went through that for a couple of years. She's finally catching on. Yeah. Wait, how, what season of Grey's are you on, House? Uh, I think this is the 17th that's premiering <laughs> November 11th. Wow. Are you excited? Is that the biggest thing on your calendar for November? <laughs> to be frank, yes. Um, <laughs> what else is happening no, in November? It, yeah, it should be a pretty uneventful month, so good to get some... Yeah, nothing on the national stage. Vote with your wallet and tune in in November. <laughs> but yeah, that just... that It was so sad that they were like... They gave her like two scenes in which she's just talking about like feeling bloated every time and like that mean, like definitely i just think of her like having like a diarrhea plot line wait i've been thinking it's so funny how much do you think she got paid for that i've been thinking about her choice to be on the show so much i've been thinking about who who what her life is like yeah because yeah, to me she's like question. in she's in kind of big shows or like maybe like mid-tier like do you think i'm always curious like what actors like that like how what's their wealth situation was she like happy to take this for fun or was it like I need the money need a gig no there's no way (laughs) why are you taking that role I feel like it's like keeping yourself somewhat relevant like just like having people see your face once in a while as an actor yeah and also like important being on Netflix like you know everyone from Orange is the New Black is like getting a new show even if they had smaller parts you know I'm sure it's like you start to work for an organization you meet people you know, you get a couple of Netflix gigs. Netflix does protect its own. Yeah. I've noticed. Lily Collins is a Netflix fave. Is she? There you go. Should we talk a little about Lily Collins' career? Sure. <laughs> All he was doing a little research. For those who don't know, Lily Collins' father is Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't know that. Did you feel Harley? something I didn't know in that. the air? <laughs> wow, I had no idea, actually. Sorry, pre-written joke. Um... <laughs> 
She's the daughter of <laughs> Phil Collins and Jill Tableman, or Tableman, sorry, Jill. Which one is that? Who was a host of Extra with Billy Bush, famously of the um, Pussy Grabber tape, um, and of the very, <laughs> very powerful Bush family. Um, shout out to Houston Oil. Um, she went to USC, also known as the... So I actually did this research in sort of a, in the broader theme of nepotism, which I think is one of the, the successes of the show, which is like one of those forces, those levers that like shape our lives, those invisible forces, right? Nepotism. Especially living in New York, you just like realize that everyone is just somebody's kid. <laughs> You're like, what oh is Oh my it? God. Yeah, so... Always, always. So she went to USC called, you know derisively by haters the university of spoiled children not my name for it i would never say something like that um she was named international model of the year by spain's glamour magazine um which you know sort of comes full circle when she's like has to step in as a model for the the dress Um, and she's trying to act awkward in that scene unsuccessfully yeah you know what i yeah, mean like she no... she looks she looks incredible in the dress she looks it looks like it was made for her like don't pretend that you feel uncomfortable she's like i'm so midwestern and then just like both of her collarbones are poking me in the eye <laughs> well also like that's one one gripe i have in general with like really hot people in shows is they never talk they never really talk about like what goes into vanity and like looking that type of hot she jokes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like Whatever. Actually, I think that's a boring tangent. Why don't you continue with uh, her okay. LinkedIn profile? Um, her, yeah. So um, her fiance is the son of Malcolm McDowell of uh, Clockwork Orange and other fame, and her her mother is Mary, uh, or his mother is Mary Steenburgen, um, which means her stepdad is Ted Danson. So again, more wow. nepotism. You would recognize that her if you saw a pic. Oh, you know. I know is. who that is. Yeah, okay, I had to look a pic. Um, She's in the proposal. <laughs> I also watched recently. And Elf and Step Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the villain of the show, Sylvie, is portrayed by a woman whose name I'm, is like Philippine, let's say. Leroy Bo- yeah. Bolu. Bo- Bolio. Sorry, French people. Um, who is mm-hmm. the daughter of a French actor. And Brigitte Macron herself is uh, the heir to a chocolate, a French chocolate empire. So big um, nepotism vibes. Yeah, oh yeah. In the show. Yeah, yeah, but also yeah. In, in real life. Just right. like when I, mean, I found out that Dakota... Show, yeah. Like when I found out that Dakota Johnson is the daughter of Don Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there's a Dakota Johnson stan in the room, so watch your mouth. <laughs> oh, I well, mean, I, I loved just, her architectural digest. I'm just a stan digest. of her, yeah, <laughs> her apartment, house of her house. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, she, don't know seem, anything she about seems her. nice. I'm sure she's like in some ways has blind spots growing up um, without uh, problems. But <laughs> oh no, I mean, 100. percent Like all of these people. But her house is really nice, and her, you know, she dresses well. Apparently, that's what you tell me. She she uh, deadpanned Ellen. She she oh, d- yeah. that's true. She outed Ellen. She took Ellen down. Actually, I'm a stand too, cause fuck Ellen. Like you know, I, whatever. I watched Fifty Shades, the first Fifty Shades movie, and it was bad. But awful, like, awful. It was honestly more that dude's fault. I also liked that she like she was like hating on the Fifty Shades movies like while she was still starring in them, which I it was a Robert Pattinson movie. Yeah. This is informed. Ex- yeah. What is it? Informed in- exceptionalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, honestly, like if whatever she made money wise for that movie, I would have played literally that role. Like her role, <laughs> I would have signed all the contracts in the show. I would have 
you know, whatever else. That was like she got in a helicopter and was impressed. Like, whatever. I don't <laughs> I know. I honestly want to rewatch now. It's that's another good you know, that's a pretty good comparison to like Emily in Paris. Like I think that there's just because they're fun to watch doesn't mean that they necessarily have merit as art. Like obviously, tw- we watched Twilight recently too. Yeah, there's like Same. Twilight is a great example of a show that's like useless and not challenging, but like that plot really drives you forward, and it's like fun to watch. And that it's, I mean, I just think that things that are unchallenging are fun to watch, right? Or is that too much of a blank or mm. kind of a blanket statement? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I think that they're actually, they, I think they are art. I think they're very American art. Right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey is about worshiping billionaires. Again, like when you want to like sort of excavate what American culture is in this era, you would look to that. Someone who's like literally so submissive, they'll do anything. They'll sign a contract. Like that's your idea of romance. Right, is to sign a contract to a billionaire and have them uh, like have complete dominion over you. Yeah, and the fact that like money is just. It's it's all that can give you a good life in America. Mm-hmm. It's supposedly. Wish yeah. yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's wish fulfillment. To to watch somebody go from living a normal life where you're worried about money to never having to worry about it again, it's just Yeah, you submit to the to to the altar of a billionaire. Which yeah, in real nowhere is that promise more potent in, than in America where right. like it's the, literally the only way you can have like a nice life. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's like the the okay, nice it's like the movie version of it because in reality you'd have to like laugh at Elon Musk's jokes about, you know, how he, like, wanted to make his stock $420 or whatever, you know. <laughs> You'd have to be like, wow, that's really cool. Did you find that on Reddit, too? Haha, <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> um, or, like, whatever fucking depraved thing Michael Bloomberg does or whatever. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, sorry, I so, cut you off. So you were talking about so anyways, American art. Yeah, so American art. So, like, Twilight is another one. It's all about daddies. It, the whole thing is about different daddies <laughs> battling for daddy su- supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Edward is the daddiest of the daddies, mm-hmm. ultimately. Sorry, mm-hmm. Jacob. But Jacob en- ends up doing the, the most daddy move, which is imprinting on a, on a CGI baby. <laughs> <laughs> Justice for Renesmee. 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 The most um, perfect name there ever was. And I think Emily in Paris is another one of those, which is like this, the, but basically like just if you submit yourself to, to working hard, it's so uh, this is something I was thinking about. The whole show is a fish out of water show, right? She, she, Mm -hmm. and you know, initially the big uh, conflict in her life is that she doesn't speak any French, which they forget about once she's able to successfully order a pastry from a, (laughs) yeah, and now everyone speaks English. Yeah. A cafe. And then everyone just speaks English afterwards. But unlike a fish out of water, like a typical fish out of water I'd think of where, like, you have to adapt to your surroundings and that struggle is about the character arc, her character doesn't change at all. Mm-mm. Her character does the same thing in episode one as she does in the final episode, which is, like, follow her dreams. Her, her boyfriend, the, sh- the guy who is, like, you know, I want to stay in Chicago. And she's like, well, I have to follow my heart and do what I think is right for my job and my career. And then she goes I'm there. Done and waiting. Yeah, and then she... Yeah, exactly. And then she does that and... Uh, they're like, well, you need more style. And she's like, no, we need to double down on spectacle. And they're like, what if we put a bunch of beds everywhere? And then she has a moral <laughs> objection to a, what she <laughs> perceives as a sexist campaign. And instead of being like, I don't want to work here, I'm taking a stand. She's like, let's turn it into an Instagram poll. <laughs> and then they never talk about it again. <laughs> yeah, it's funny actually thing about the... Oh, I was just going to say the funny thing about that bed campaign is that like, I honestly was like, 
this is something that like we would have pitched in a man repeller sales meeting. <laughs> didn't you wait? Hold on. Didn't you guys actually take maps at a? Uh, we can bleep this, right? At a Casper store <laughs> and then post it. We oh, also we was shot amazing. in a bed. We shot in a Bed Bath & Beyond store on a bed there. Dude, I know. <laughs> the thing is, is, like, that was the darkest part of our jobs. Like, it's so weird to see a show that's acting like this is, like, peak. I mean, it's careerist, but it's also, like, if you consider what she's actually doing, it's encouraging, like, the worst parts of culture. Yeah, but that's why, that's why it's nice. It makes it easy for you to accept that part. Whereas, like, you guys would feel dark about being, like... Um, doing a sponsored post for Evian or whatever the fuck. Um, Life insurance. Yeah, being like... <laughs> Haunted. Being like, you know what's maxim- maximalist style? Life insurance. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, you, so fucking cringe. <laughs> do you, well, so do you, much of marketing is cringe, which is yeah, why yeah, yeah. like... It actually totally fits with Emily's personality because she's kind of cringe. For, For her sure. to be in marketing is perfect because marketing is like kind of inherently corny and usually not that cool. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. people trying to be cool. Yeah, she's she's an avatar. And, exactly, she's an avatar for marketing. Right, I love I think the that, yeah. I love the Twitter memes that are like with her and Don Draper. <laughs> Have you seen the? Oh, I haven't seen. No, yeah, I haven't seen. They're like two marketing icons. <laughs> <laughs> totally to your point about Harles about like what needs to be critiqued right now like it would be nice if they if Emily was going to realize that like the work she was doing was kind of hollow and that and she was sort of starting to be challenged by <laughs> no that's not the obvious shaking no, his head I disagree. okay okay I guess I think that maybe I'm not saying that I think that the show should do that because it's clearly not trying to critique anything although i would argue that like something doesn't have to be super hollow to be escapist no but i think that like shows like i had this argument once with um someone and she was telling me that like brooklyn i was like brooklyn 99 is copaganda <laughs> this is like a kind of conversation that i have i'm really really fun at parties and i was like arguing that brooklyn 99 is copaganda and she's like no they contend with stuff like br- police brutality this is before all the the protests of this year but um and I was like, yeah, but it's just like nothing actually changes because of a TV show. Like Brooklyn Nine-Nine is fairly popular. Nothing's going to change. So this show won't change anything. What it really can do for you is make you accept the brutal reality uh, that you live in your office now. Because, we, you know, if you're fortunate enough to work from home, if you weren't laid off or like forced um, back into your essential work job that pays you minimum wage, um, you know, it, it helps you digest that. And it, it gives you, like, this sort of, like, fever dream fantasy that, like, it's not actually fucked up to pitch... What she pitched pharmaceuticals. But, like, if you pitch pharmaceuticals, it can lead to a life full of fucking in Paris with, like, cool friends, like a girl who's, like, from the crazy rich Asians extended universe with her, like, rich Singapore friends. And you can eat... uh like a croissant and it'll get you a massive social following. Like this is what people need now. So it's escapist. So I think there's things can be escapist for different reasons, but Emily in Paris is escapist because it doesn't challenge any of the norms that are being challenged right now. in like the zeitgeist. Right. Because they won't be changed. (laughs) It's like the spoonful of sugar to help us with all of this. 
That's a really depressing perspective. <laughs> that's why I, li- that's why I like the show. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I also think that's why it's making people angry, right? Yeah, but it also feels good to be angry, you know? Yeah. I think it's another way that you escape, is like you get this little, like we're all little powerless, sort of atomized, uh, maybe I shouldn't come back on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But we're all these, like, little, like, individualized people with no community, and especially now that we, like, you know, it's actually, in some sense, dangerous to have a community and, you know. Well, okay, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a counterpoint to that, that point we were just saying. Please so do. I read a piece by Philippa Snow in The New Republic uh-huh. called The Mysteries of Emily in Paris, and I'm going to read a, um, a little excerpt where she compares Emily to Carrie Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. Sex and the City's later seasons merged a defiantly consumerist vision of romance with an older, more angular version of Carrie, who was, in the words of the New York of New Yorker's Emily Nussbaum, scarred and strikingly gun-shy. Emily, who has not yet met a man she cannot seduce or a mind she cannot change with the power of positive thinking, has no, re- has no reason to be scarred or gun-shy in Emily in Paris. Perhaps this is what makes it the ultimate 2020 fantasy. It offers up a world that never requires its heroine to change herself or to admit that she is wrong or to feel frightened or to fail at getting everything she wants. Those smoking, love-making Parisians may be right. Certain Americans are simply too cocksure for their own good. Hmm. Is that counter to what I was saying? I think that I, that wasn't exactly the quote I was thinking. I forgot that that was the quote I had. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there, there was... She's talking about how, like, even... The, the quote I thought I got, although that one's semi-relevant is that um, Carrie, for, for all the sugar of Sex and the City, Carrie did, like, fail and fuck up. Like, she cheated and was, like, ashamed. Mm-hmm. And um, she was obnoxious in similar ways to Emily in the kind of, like, screamy way. <laughs> but I do think that at least the characters in Sex and the City, like, they're, we saw the dark side of their kind of parody personalities. It's like everyone, everyone had, like, a thing. You mean by the second movie? Um, talking about the show here, okay. movies are removed from the record, mm. but like, I think that, you know, Sex and City had its problems, but one thing I always think that the show did well was develop its characters. Like those characters, they were sometimes really fun and they were sometimes annoying for the same reasons they were fun, which is exactly how human people are. They would like go through phases of being friends with each other or like kind of fall out and like, it's not, I'm not saying it's the most realistic depiction of friendship. I think like shows, shows necessarily make uh, kind of skew friendship because they have to have it really contained. They have to have the p- people meeting up really regularly. And so they create like a weird alternative universe that like no friends behave like that. But, but I do think that there were things about those characters that were compelling and, and Emily in Paris, there's no arc for her. Yeah. And so like to, to your point about like Netflix shows just sort of dying out quickly, like it will just be like a sugar high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, but that's just the new reality. Like HBO is a different medium than uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that Sex and the City, you know, it never really de- contended with, like, her money tro- troubles in a real way. It didn't contend with a lot of things, for sure. But I'm just I'm it giving also, it praise on one part. It also did contain our current president, um, who Samantha thought was hot at a bar, <laughs> which makes me wonder who from Emily in Paris will be a future president of the United States. <laughs> Wait, wasn't Mr. Big, like, loosely based on... No, it wasn't based on Trump, was it? Oh, I don't know. There was, like, a Wait. real guy, I thought. Yeah, maybe it was a real it guy. It was some real finance guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but so I guess like if I would say that fuck, there are sugary pick. shows that still have, I think that like to hold on, maybe it's just a different thing game though, because there's not a Sherlock Holmes esque arc to Sex in the City. Um, yeah, she does, and that's what she writes her way through her life. Like you're you right, do. you're right. She does kind of have a life. And then I, ha- yeah, then I, and I had to wonder whatever the line is. The I, puns, yeah, I couldn't help but wonder. I couldn't help but wonder. It's interesting that you like mention like Emily and Emily in Paris technically does do. She does make mistakes, but they're either resolved immediately or completely glossed over. Like she, she keeps kissing this dude who she's and she's friends with his girlfriend, but there's absolutely no consequence for that. Like it almost is like a shrug the entire time. Yeah, it's not real emotion. Right. She has sex with a with a uh, oh a seventeen year old, an underage. <laughs> yeah, that. Well, what's the age of consent in Paris? <laughs> That was also completely like, and then the mom asks her if he was a good lover. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the French caricatures are. I'm sure. I, I know that everyone in France is extremely angry about Jesus. this show. I would be angry too. Oh, the age of consent in Paris is 15. Wow. Also, I heard Lily Collins was like saying that Emily is supposed to be 22 and everyone was up in arms. Wow. Yeah, because she has a master's degree. Yeah, Doesn't and also sense. she seems. I mean, she was like sent to this, and she's been working. I sort of yeah. thought yeah, she was yeah, exactly. like 26. That was my guess. Maybe she yeah. was like on the Condoleezza Rice track and she was like out of Princeton by 16. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pianist. the subplot we'll get in season two. <laughs> where, where she helps in the Ten next invasion, ago. the next Middle Eastern invasion. Yeah. Um, Emily in the Situation Room. <laughs> yeah, so, so her, her mistakes are like, they're falsely high stakes right. for drama, but they're not really high stakes. Like she's not really dealing I mean like even take her take her boyfriend this isn't a mistake maybe it's more just in the emotional realm but like she says she was close to being married to this guy and then yeah and they break up and she's literally like fuck you for like two seconds and then like never sad about the breakup and never he never even comes up again never like it's so crazy like it's when you go through a breakup that's like you never forget that shit. Like up through like a big breakup. Right. Like she that's like the next months work. of your life are like monumentally <laughs> sad and awful. And it's just like, and it's, a, it's not to say that they should do that in this lighthearted show, but it just goes like it's. There's nothing to grab onto that feels like remotely. It's this resonant. is what this is always what happens when you have powerful women. You know, <laughs> she says, she says she's done waiting, and she processed it in that moment, and it's difficult for people, you know, to see that on TV. <laughs> Um, I'm looking at my other notes. <laughs> I mean, speaking of Sex in the City, I did have one thing, which is like, one other reason I think it's a very good American art is because the whole show is also marketing. I remember watching Sex in the City once, and like, um, Carrie's looking at a bag through a window. She's like window shopping, and it literally looks like like a like something from Glamour or Vogue or something, where it's like this this very waifish woman looking through, like just like this idea of um, glamour and opulence, mm-hmm. and like obviously New York City is like a big part of that in the show yeah the consumer is bent to it and it's like huge and this reminds me of uh, so like Emily in Paris you know one of the things that's funny is like she's wearing all this stuff and the show itself is about marketing and I think it's like and SpawnCon and this show itself is like selling something too mm-hmm. um, and in that sense it's I like think... it is a marketing product and I think that it makes it a successful product too mm-hmm. do you think that's why it like irked people so much is because it's marketing these ideals that we've like 
that have like already been torn down so many times. You know, that's like another reason it feels dated is that it's like, oh, we've been through this. We've critiqued like why it's problematic to hold up this like very thin white woman as the ideal of like what you should be aspiring towards in terms of like heroines. You know what I mean? And so like that's another way the show maybe got under people's skin is I think it's like <laughs> it's it's a huge eye roll in that sense. Yeah. Maybe. But it's also yeah, I think that's that also is why it's nostalgic. It's nostalgic to watch like such outdated ideals play <laughs> out. I also think it's yeah. just people don't like being advertised to. I mean, we're just so inundated with advertisements at this point that like I think we have a sense like a sixth sense for like, oh, we're being sold something. And it's annoying. Like, I think that's part of the backlash, at least. Mm -hmm. But I will say, like, it's kind of smart, too. It it reminds me in a sense of, like, Adam Sandler movies, where he, like, would do all of this sort of product placement in his movies. Like, there's, you know, the subway ads in Happy Gilmore, or he did that movie, was it Jack and Jill or something? He plays, like, an an ad exec where he's, like, trying to get... The whole point of the movie is trying to get Al Pacino to do a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. And so they get all this money from a bunch of, like, corporations to to like augment the budget and so he just hires all the same friends over so it's like David Spade and Kevin James and whoever else Rob Schneider for whatever reason Rob Schneider continues to get a paycheck because they're comfortable (laughs) just like (laughs) we can cut all this that's fine let's just move on wait no we were just like really getting into the plot of that Adam Taylor I'm sorry I shouldn't have cut you off no you You know you you know what I was getting kind of hot I was having like a hot flash moment and, and Thinking of Rob Schneider, <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, I, re- I regret cutting you off. Um, yeah. So, how do you feel about social media, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I think I want to add one thing, which is that I, d- I think something that is frustrating to people, also, or maybe just to echo what you were saying, Harling, is the feeling that this show represents like a regression. Um, because you know we've had there's a lot more interesting shows out with like more complicated, you know, leads and more realistic problems. And it felt like forward motion. But I think that, like, even those shows are, like, algorithmically formed. And so... Yeah. And this one is just maybe more blatant about it and a little just, like, more sloppy. It's... I mean, that's not to say that I think there aren't some great shows that are, like, pushing those boundaries. But Emily Emily in Paris is so blatant. It's very heavy-handed. Like, it's just, like, if they had cast, like, a more, if they had cast more, um, like, more racial diversity and changed nothing about the show, it you would just, it would, it would just be, be such an empty gesture. It would be so empty when it's, like, of course Emily's a white girl. Mm-hmm. Like, I would rather, yes, cast someone else different in the lead and just, like, completely rewrite the script. <laughs> like, shouldn't you just watch I May Destroy You at that point, though? Yeah. Like, isn't that a better show about social media that has, like, a black uh, sort of creative force behind it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess I'm just trying to... Of course, I always... I think representation matters, but my point is that, like, empty representation as, like, an end goal, I feel like can lead us astray. When, like, the, the problems with this show are so much deeper and just swapping in different people to make it, like, sort of please a certain type of crowd... Mm -hmm is missing the forest for the trees and might even be, like, distracting people as to, like, what it would mean to make art that's, like, more progressive. Right. Like, in other words, like, the whitewashing is just one 
of so many different problematic things about the show and that just changing that wouldn't necessarily make the show more acceptable it would have been yeah exactly i I think it would have been it would have just been like they they added like one additional algorithm that they forgot they left out yeah i think that's the that's the crux of it is that it's done by algorithm it's meant to optimize you know viewers and of a certain demographic and this is what is tolerable to make the most successful successful financial product and marketing product which is what it really is yeah yeah which is american art in 2020 Mm-hmm. It's interesting that it was such an American, like, it's almost like a cringeworthy American show about a cringeworthy American. You know what I mean? That, <laughs> like, that double That's whammy. Perfect. Yeah. It's meta. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Like, like the fact that, like, Netflix is interpreting French culture alongside Emily, in, and they're both failing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, she basically goes in there and teaches all these lazy French people who don't come into work on time, who like take lunches because, you know, they like to enjoy their lives and teaches them about a work ethic. And, uh, you know, this, the idea that a customer is always right. Because, it's very imperial. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you can really do imperialism <laughs> to the French, but, um, <laughs> but spreading the American, should, you, Emily should go to all the countries and spread the American way. Yeah. Wouldn't we all be better off? Yeah. Uh, Emily's going to be the leader of Bolivia in season three. Um. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, let me see if there's anything else. Carls, <laughs> do you want to, like... I mean, I feel like we did talk about the style, like the pink bedazzled beret with number one on it. Oh. <laughs> okay, crazy take. I think there's more stuff about social media that we can talk about. Yeah. In the sense that social media is portrayed as, in my mind, a just sort of, like, fun thing that yeah. only... provides like these like nice experiences she posts something she sees her friend enjoying herself and spraying champagne and it gives her an idea for a marketing marketing campaign she never is doom scrolling she's never dealing with hateful comments she never has to uh explain out of context uh takes about representation matters (laughs) it's just pure unalloyed good i like so many it was interesting because so many people who work in social media were outraged about Emily in Paris because of how easy it makes the job look. Like it makes it look like all you do is like come up with like fun gimmicky ideas and maybe post like once a week. You know what I mean? Whereas in reality, you're like glued to your phone all the time. Like you're like constantly (laughs) refreshing to see like you're posting three times a day and like each post, so much thought goes into each post and like you have a edit calendar and like it's really fast paced and stressful and like kind of toxic and And your boss is critiquing all your captions yeah exactly and that there was none of that depicted in emily in paris yeah i mean like the whole obviously the depiction of the whole job is absurd well she's a good influencer like when she goes to that thing and then they're like you only have twenty thousand followers and then they show you like a spanish model and she's like uh, I have a hundred thousand followers, so I deserve the the swag bag. The swag bags actually were pretty realistic. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that certain people getting the big swag and other people getting the literally like the fashion show. That was realistic. You know, the first rows get like a, what was a not realistic treat. was like Emily posting next to that hedge wall and them like watching it in another room <laughs> and being like, <laughs> she's the one. No, I know. I was just gonna say, she like she knows content. Yeah. All she did was say like enjoying like what? What even was the product? She's like she's like Lipstick. Sunday fun day. <laughs> she, she was like it's very easy to eat when you're wearing. Oh, very. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh. And they're like, let her in. She's good at Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know what? I think people who love it love it for, like, the lack of depth. And people who hate it hate it for the lack of depth. Yeah, and she, just, she only ever takes one photo. Sorry, I just thought I'd make that point. Oh, so. yeah, that's... You're right. She only takes one selfie, which I think is pretty unrealistic. That is, you're right. Just the, the first take every time, possibly mm-hmm. the most unrealistic part of the show. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's annoying because people are excited that there's a show that's like talking about the weirdness of it, like bringing it to the forefront instead of kind of trying to push. Because obviously it's a little bit hard to depict social media. And so I think a lot of shows shy away from it. And so to have a show kind of embrace it and get it so wrong is frustrating. I think the show got it right. <laughs> I think all the show it depicts to you is the dopamine rush that you feel when you get a when you nail a post and none of the bad stuff and that's all you remember because there's so many notifications and little bells and whistles and de- delightful moments and apps that you forget that like Twitter is a hell place that Instagram is making you feel bad about yourself constantly. All you think about is like damn I got so much engagement on this story post. No, People dude, I think Instagram is fucking stressful. Okay, well, I mean, I have a different take on Instagram than you two. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, Harling and I, I feel like we're Instagram has stressed us out quite a lot in the past. Hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I know my relationship with Instagram is unhealthy. I know that it makes my day worse every time I go on it, and yet I'm so <laughs> addicted that I go on it probably 18 times a day. It's disgusting. Absolutely. Same. <laughs> Wait, are you more of a feed scroller or a story watcher? I'm more of a story watcher. I, I, I will scroll through, like, the top three posts in my feed, and that's it. Wait, that's Whoa. the exact same for me. I don't really scroll on the feed. Ooh. Then how are you liking everything on your feed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Avi, Avi likes literally everything on his feed, and everyone always comes to me saying... Avi always likes my post. Like, it's so sweet. And I'm like, and I'm, just I don't spread, have, I'm just here to spread some love. I know, but I, tell, I don't tell them that you're a really generous liker. Yeah, please don't. Because I feel like it would take away from the power they feel. Yeah. Avi always likes my comments, which it, to me feels extra special. But maybe you do that to everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he only, no, he only does no, that no, for I you. No, no, I've only ever liked your comments. <laughs> Perfect. So glad to confirm that. And everyone who, and everyone who responds to Bugs posts. <laughs> Yeah, I'm more of a story watcher too. Yeah, I feel like she just the, the the sheer amount of time you would spend on Instagram if you had like a popular account that you were growing, like, is probably it is really underrepresented. But like again, it's not supposed to be realistic. I think I'm just tr- trying to ex- explore why people are angry. It's because we have so few depictions of of like influencing and on. You know what's a more realistic depiction? Angry goes west. Where are you? <laughs> I haven't seen that. Oh no! It's like Aubrey Plaza. Wait, is yeah. it Aubrey Plaza right? Yeah, and Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a real realistic depiction of social media is just like two people who live together on the opposite ends of the couch, just their necks <laughs> craned in that shrimp position, assuming the position, assuming the position for my newsletter this week. Just being like, "Hey, did you see this tweet?" And be like, "Yeah, I saw that." My one, <laughs> yeah. All me and my like timelines have gotten way too similar, and now we can never show each other tweets because we'll be like, "Yeah, I saw." Dude, I used to be the king of Twitter, and then she just updated, upgraded her feed, and 
I, I, there's no reason to be dating me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys, we've been talking for so long. I think I, we need to like yeah, let's get let, our final another, thoughts. Let's get our, th- our final last thoughts. thirty minutes should be just our like concluding thoughts. I also feel like Harling, I like cut you off a lot, and I want to apologize because I feel like you're no, 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 you didn't at all. Okay, um, but do you have more thoughts? Because I want to hear. I wanted you to hear you get mad. I feel like we've kind of, I don't know, like I'm looking at my notes and we've really hit upon everything. This is what I wrote down. Let me just, let me just read my notes to you. And you yes, tell me please. if you have any further comments. No one wears this many heels or belts. She is seemingly, <laughs> she is seemingly not upset about breakup with boyfriend she was engaged to being engaged to. Hmm. I'm really sad about Kate Walsh. <laughs> this is very whitewash. Uh-huh. I can't tell how old she is because she's super confident at work and won't stop bragging about her master's in communication, and yet no one has ever gone down on her until now. Oh, I didn't know. Wait, it was the first for her? Yeah, that's right. Or maybe... Didn't it seem like it was the first time ever? She was so, like, caught off guard. (laughs) She'd never been eaten out by a Frenchman. Oh, that was the surprise? Because they have the curly mustache and the beret, and it makes the experience different. No, she... And what he was doing with that baguette. The philosopher was bald and mustacheless, so... Also true. Um, Wait, I saw a funny tweet that was like... Oh, it was Rachel Sennett, I think. It was like, every time a girl gets eaten out on a TV show, she's like, oh, like really surprised. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that too. Just like in real life. I saw the tweet. It's so sad. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, continue, please. Um, We're getting threesome baited the whole time, which we discussed. Mm -hmm. And... I will be bringing a headshot of Camille to my colorist when I finally dye my hair blonde again. Mm. And that's the only positive takeaway I really have from the show. <laughs> Let's see. That's my note, too, is the same, the blonde. <laughs> I don't have, I mean, I said basically everything I need to say. I just want to say shout out to Harry from Sex and the City, Harry Gang. Um, the best character. The best character. Harry Goldenblatt? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> the best character on Sex and the City. I love him. Yeah. Yeah, we stand Harry. Yeah, I like him much better than, like, Steve, let's say. Obviously better than Big. Steve did grow on me, though. Steve, I mean, like, they threw him a nice sympathetic plotline at the end with his mom. Because after he sh- mm. he had those streaks in his underwear, I was just, it was hard to come back for that for me. <laughs> Skid marks. I was also not Team Aiden or Team Big. Although, of course, I leaned more Aiden, but... I was Team the guy who kept, who, pre- who ejaculated prematurely. He was good, right? He was my fave. Was that Burger? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> he was like, I forget what his name was. He was, a, but he's played by someone famous too. Wait, Agent Cooper? Was he coming quick? Oh no, he couldn't get it up. This is the writer whose who's mom she loves. <gasps> oh my god, yeah. So. Yes, but I loved the mom. Yeah. The and family. His whole it was like, family is amazing. Right, they had like a a Jewish family, right? Yeah, they had like a bagel and lox thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he just he kept coming all over himself. Honestly, I think they could have figured that out. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. Just would take a little time, a little patience. (laughs) Harling, I love that. That's your team, and (laughs) not bigger Aiden. (laughs) You should put that in your Instagram bio. Just like keep keep the uh, the Sex in the City trope going. You're right, since everyone seems to love that. Yeah, I feel like that would really go over well with the internet. Just really honing in on that. Um, okay, well, thank you guys. This has been extremely 
enriching and fulfilling. This is what I wanted. Unlike Emily and Barrett. Yeah, I'd like to announce I'm retiring from podcasting. <laughs> I feel like I was kind of steamrolling tonight. I was too excited. I feel like I was steamrolling. No. I have a page and a half of notes. <laughs> I I should have taken more notes. My notes were so brief. No, Harling, we put you on a we put you on a fast uh, a fast track for this <laughs> we, episode. Yeah, we did cyber bully you into finishing the show. <laughs> Yeah, I really, I'm really proud of myself for watching all of them in the time that it was allotted to me because, like, I even like instead of like listening to music while I was working out today, I just listen, <laughs> I just watch Emily in Paris with like, <laughs> which was not like the gumption I needed to do jumping jacks, but I'm committed. Wow, I really, I, I applaud your commitment to this effort. Thank you. Um, and it's more of that workism that you hate to see. Mm-hmm. You really learned something. <laughs> I'm willing you? to. I'm, workism is okay if it's for maybe baby. <laughs> wow. That's the ultimate takeaway of the. Okay, well, yeah. to people listening, if you have thoughts on Emily in Paris, please don't be shy in the comment section. Um, we clearly forced ours upon you, so feel free to return the favor. Yeah. <sighs> okay, Harls. It's good to see you. So good to see both of you. Hugs and kisses. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. Enjoy that sweet potato. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye, baby girl. Bye. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, honestly, to Emily in Paris for giving us something to laugh about this week. I was feeling pretty down or have been feeling pretty down. And this conversation put me in a much better mood. So feel free to join the conversation if you're looking for some escapism in various forms. Okay. I will see you next week. Bye. Bye.